1: Hello, freaks, and welcome to Radical Research. So welcome to Radical Research, episode 29, and welcome to the strange world of Berlin-area Germany's Mekong Delta. I'm Jeff Wagner, and my co-host is none other than...
2: Hunter Ginn.
1: Hunter Ginn. How you doing, Hunter Gin?
2: Doing fine. How are you?
1: Doing well. Um, before we kind of start nitpicking uh, this band's really fascinating formation apart, I'm just curious how, uh, as kind of a younger person... You'll always be younger than me anyway. Um, <laughs> how you got interested in Mekong Delta?
2: Uh, Eula Garrett.
1: <laughs> That's always your answer. I mean,
2: I, I, yeah. It, I mean, seriously. Like, I mean, he was, you know. And two, like, I was getting into Psychotic Waltz. And, um, you know, there's a Ralph Hubert Psychotic Waltz connection. And it was all sort of like a little constellation of weird left field progressive metal bands. Um, but they were just like – they were – and I guess – like psychotic Walsh, they had this mystery about them no one seemed to know a ton of at least to me at the time no one seemed to know a ton about them they were from germany um there were no band photos that really interesting uh album title even their band name you know it's yeah. like a yeah a river basin in vietnam right like you know
1: which uh, other than the the album cover that shows sort of a, a guy holding a machine gun um either stalked or helped by a strange skull serpentine Lovecraftian looking thing. Um, what's the uh, What's the uh, Kill the enemy on the first album? Like, there's not much war themed stuff. Um, it makes you wonder why they picked the name Mekong Delta, but they did. And the intrigue and the mystery behind this band just continues. And it's funny you mentioned that because you know the mystery aspect of this band because. When I got into them, it was you know pretty early on in in them coming up, just with the first and second albums, and they never had any kind of proper band photo. It was always shadowed and mysterious, much like Pantheimonium would do later, and certainly like Bathory would do in terms of just having very minimal image and you know showing even less than what Bathory would. Bathory was more out of necessity because there was just never a proper lineup. A band, beyond, <laughs> yeah, beyond Quorthon, this was a different case with Mekong Delta, because they were formed by a bunch of known musicians, I guess we can say known because they were in other bands who had albums out at the time. And they always gave the explanation that it was because they didn't think anybody take seriously a super group of German metal musicians internationally, which is cool. But uh, I always kind of felt it was more maybe because some guys were like involved in rage, uh, who were on noise records, who were right. Big business already by that time in 87 and I always wondered if maybe maybe it was something like that but whatever the case I think mystery in terms of image and just you know obfuscation is really goes a long way
2: yeah Yeah. I mean it it, because it it, you know cults of cultivates an interest in the listener Um, and you know music is maybe the most abstract art form you know because I mean it's just it's sound it's invisible it is it's yeah it's intangible um, and so, like it's already given to this kind of sense of mystery. Um, so, for a band to, you know, take itself out of, um, out of reality and into this sort of shadowy dream world, I, I think it, like adds to the impact.
1: Absolutely. And a band that we're covering, nineteenth-century Russian composer Modest Mussorgsky's "Hut of Baba Yaga," which is what we opened with. That's kind of unusual. You know, they, I think at the time, other than that cover, they were playing. I don't know what we, what do we want to call it? Semi technical thrash, right? Is that yeah? One? I
2: mean, like I guess that's another thing that distinguishes their early phase from most bands. It's like you know, and it, it's kind of telling that they were involved in other bands because even at Nativity, these guys kind of came out of the the gates um with a very developed sound.
1: Absolutely, and we're, and we're going to listen to two songs that that are originals off of that first album in a second. I kind of wanted to talk about the formation of this band. It's pretty fascinating. They were kind of like a metal's first ever, maybe only boy band scenario, because um, <laughs> Ralph Hubert actually was not in the band at first. And as we're going to hear throughout the episode, uh, Ralph Hubert is the guy in Mekong Delta. He's the bassist yes. and the leader, uh, the visionary. But at the time of their formation, he was just a sound engineer for like uh, Living Death and and Steeler, the German Steeler and Warlock. Uh, he owned ARG Music, AAA. RRG, I think, later Zardoz music. Um, So he was just this kind of like industry guy and he was kind of in the background and he put together this band of basically, it was basically early rage plus a guy named Wolfgang Borgman on vocals, aka Kyle, that was his pseudonym. That rage lineup included PV Wagner, PV Wagner, who of course is rage and then York Michael, who was in rage early on and a guitarist named Jochen Schroeder. That was early rage with a vocalist who was almost as annoying as PV himself. Butting. <laughs> whoa. Um do you, do you, are you a fan of PV's voice in rage? Um I am a
2: fan of like a little clutch of rage albums, but um not hugely into PV's voice, but like the music is good enough for me to get. I mean, look, I I don't really know how to say this tactfully, <laughs> but I I like a lot of German bands but when you like German rock and metal music, you have to make some concessions in the vocal department.
1: Often. Oh, quite often. Yeah. Everything. So, yeah. From Eloy to rage. I think you do. Exactly. Right.
2: Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I'm, I've been able to, um, to kind of come to terms with that over the years.
1: Yeah. I just thought it was interesting that their first lineup had PV in it. He didn't sing, but they got a guy who sounded quite a bit like him in terms of that, <laughs> right. That kind of higher whiny, wiry, just straining at the top of his range sort of guy. Um, <laughs> But anyway, that lineup didn't last. PV bowed out pretty early on, although he remained for the first two albums to just write lyrics. This Jokin guy left and Ralph decided, "Well, I'm just going to step in and play bass." I'm assuming he was pretty familiar with bass already cuz the, to have been. the yeah. guy is quite accomplished. Yeah, had to have been. Yeah. And how was that not the plan from the beginning? It's just really strange. <laughs> um, you know, considering his vision and his leadership and his classical orientation, uh, and everything he brought to Mekong, I think it's strange that he wasn't planning on being in it at first. So,
2: well, you know, I mean, he may have, I mean, there was always that streak in him though, like the industry streak, um, like, you know, as a tour manager, as a label head. So sure. I, maybe it, you know, at, at that point he was just more interested in, you know, kind of an ancillary role, but I agree with you. It's like, you know, it'd be like, um, It'd be like Marcel Jacobs, like booking shows for Talisman. and would be like, oh, dude, I play bass too.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, it's, un- it's rather unlikely. It's so strange. But yeah, so here we have the first Mekong Delta lineup. We'll talk about that lineup in just a second. But let's listen to, um, we're going to listen to Nightmare Patrol and Shiva's Return. having said what i did about wolfgang aka kyle uh i do like him a lot more on this album than i do the next two i think partly because he's drowning amidst this kind of more dirtier hazier production on this album
2: yeah well yeah just the overall approach on the first album is different yeah it's more aggressive more fired up more metal yeah and you're yeah you're, it, it, you're right on the money as far as the production goes which i actually quite like for this album
1: oh me too me too. Yeah. I always wish there was maybe another Mekong Delta album that sounded a bit more like this. Um, right. but you know, uh, we're into them because of their progression and their sort of forward momentum the whole time. So that's part of the deal, I guess. Amazing stuff. The guitarists are two guys from the band living death and talk about annoying vocalists. I mean, I, I guess that's <laughs> a, that's a thread in this story. <laughs> Torsten, I think it was his name. And, um, he was he was the reason I could never get into Living Death, but um, such as it is, these guys came into Mekong Delta uh, in parallel to their work in Living Death and um, really stepped up. Wow. Uh,
2: yeah, that's a pretty big graduation.
1: Yeah, I, I just you know it allowed them to do more. I think Living Death was always a way more to the point, yeah. you know, straight up, straight bands. up, straight up speed metal band. Well, but it's yeah, funny too, it
2: makes me wonder like how much talent there is lurking out there in sort of mediocre bands, you know guys that were given an opportunity, how exceptional they might be.
1: Yeah, sure. And I, and I think Ralph Hubert, to his great credit, uh, brought all these kind of guys in and uh, let, let, let them really go. Uh, gave them challenging original material and of course picked a lot of challenging compositions for them to rework. And uh, that's part of the beauty of Mekong Delta. There's there's so much to talk about. One of the other things to talk about is the pseudonyms. Um, along with hmm. the obscured image, uh, they all pick different names. Reiner Kelch from uh, Living Death went as Vincent St. John, one of the lamest made up names ever. (laughs) 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 Kind of a pastiche of Kisses, Vinnie Vincent and Mark St. John, I suppose. I guess. Uh, And then Frank Fricka from um, Living Death went as Rolf Stein. Uh, We mentioned Kyle. Also
2: Gordon Perkins.
1: Yeah, Gordon Perkins, uh, that was (laughs) Jorg Michael's pseudonym. And York Michael, of course, we mentioned him before as being an early member of Rage, he went on to uh, running wild later, gravedigger yep. later, Stradivarius, among many others. But yeah, he went as Gordon Perkins. So Gordon um,
2: Perkins sounds like a like a Bakersfield like swing <laughs> country singer or something.
1: Yeah, it's 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 puzzling. It's really puzzling yeah. what they anyway. were thinking and why, but um, nevertheless I think it provided some intrigue, if not a little humor. Indeed. <laughs> uh, I have to mention the song on this first album called Black Sabbath. It's not a cover of that song it's definitely an homage, but it's one of those songs that's got those silly pastiche lyrics. You know what I mean? Yeah, I hate that. I'm going to read those from the second verse. War pigs, the snout full of rat salad. <laughs> they march to the electric funeral, stir in the blood. The wizard wearing the boots of mine. You are my wishing well in my paranoid dreams. <laughs> now, yeah. I love how that's all paranoid references except one from heaven and hell. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Anyway, interesting. I, I well, song it, wise, I like that. I really like the chorus of laughing and turning the cross upside down, uh, in original lyric. And um, yeah, it, it's kind of well, cool.
2: And, you know, also, "Psychotic Waltz," guilty of this sin oh, on, uh, on into, into the, into Everflow. the Everflow. on butterfly. Yeah, yeah, Butterflow. that's
1: right. Yep, yep. So, Good call. I yeah. guess Ralph Hubert was looking for this sort of thing at this time.
2: <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Thanks, Ralph. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, moving on to the second album, they adopted the title of, a, of an H.P. Lovecraft story, The Music of Eric Zahn. And kind of adding to the strangeness and the questions here, uh, the album's lyrics really don't reflect the album title and cover. But with the violin on the cover, we do keep the band's kind of strange thematic continuity uh, and classical interests and mythology moving forward anyway.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's get the you yeah.
2: Age of Agony from uh, their second record, the music of Eric Zahn, their sort of trademark riffing and rhythmic style um, that they would work pretty heavily um, through Dances of Death. It's a very, um, a very intense, very marshaled in like full band rhythmic workout. Um, interesting little twists and turns here and there, but always like a lot of a lot of like momentum and forward moving energy.
1: Yeah, that and just. Kind of an interesting stop-start method um, right. that kind of takes you by, by surprise sometimes. Really kind of caffeinated, I think of it as. It's it's oh yeah, it's, it, it's up. yeah, it's thrash, yeah, it's fast, yeah, it's intense. But there's this sort of like edgy nervousness to it that I just think typifies a lot of great technical metal, whether it's thrash or otherwise. Sure. And, yeah, they lead off the album with this song. And um, we can also hear Ralph really killing on the bass. And
2: yeah, I, I think that he really starts to assert himself here.
1: Oh, totally. He's uh, he's definitely underrated. I, I always feel like when you talk about the great metal bassists, he doesn't come up. He should. Partly I don't think
2: a lot of people know about Mekong Delta.
1: Well, that's true. Even
2: still, I mean, I just think they're they're not a particularly visible band.
1: That's true, and that's that's their problem. Because <laughs> in my world, they've they've been at the forefront. So uh, yeah. you know, I found them. You can too. <laughs> I was a kid from Iowa. Found Mekong Deltas. So.
2: Yeah, seriously. What's your excuse? Buddy? Yeah. What's your
1: what's your problem, people? But seriously, I mean, you know, popularity or not, like the guy is great. I think his attack, and his choices, and his fluidity. And his tone all come together. I they, love his tone. They really remind he reminds me of this kind of perfect amalgam of Billy Sheehan, Chris Squire, and Joey DeMaio. I mean
2: That's interesting.
1: I think of all three of those guys in his style. Just yeah. that that really aggressive forward sound of Billy Sheehan, always top of the mix, you know. Chris Squire in the attack, there's certainly an attack meets a lot of sort of melodic figures coming out more than yeah. your average bassist. And I think DeMaio, again, because of the aggression and just how creative he is, I think. So he reminds me of those guys. Those guys are three of my favorite bassists. He should be in that conversation anyway. Agreed. We're going to jump to a song called Interludium. And in parentheses, we have Begging for Mercy. This was not properly credited on the album. It's actually an adaptation by Ralph of Bernard Herrmann's Psycho Suite for String Orchestra uh, that was written by Herrmann for the Alfred Hitchcock movie Psycho. (laughs) surprised if the main creative drivers in Arcturus don't love some Mekong Delta they have to you listen to that and yeah that's a bit of a blueprint for what they would do
2: oh that's there's a lot of La masquerade in what we just heard for sure a lot
0: yeah
1: hey radical researchers It's that time of the podcast where you wish there was a skip button. It's time for a word from our sponsor.
2: Do you like giants flying around in cloud cities? Do you like those giants to be shark slash elephant centauroid hybrids? I do. That might also be aliens? I do. Or angels? Yes. Or zombies? Yes. Or cyborgs?
1: Fuck yeah, you do. Luckily, Broodmother Sky Fortress, the adventure for Lamentations of the Flame Princess, features just this sort of thing. And it's packed with advice from the archmage of old school gaming, Jeffrey Entz, that will improve your campaign no matter what tabletop role-playing game you run. This is, hands down, the most awesome adventure ever published for gaming purposes.
2: Of course, we will give a big freaking discount to get your copy. To order the physical book, go to lotfp.com, that's lotfp.com, and order through the store there, and use coupon code ELEPHANT, that's ELEPHANT, to get 10 euros off. Holy shit! That's a 40% discount off the price of the book.
1: That it is.
2: Or if you want the PDF version instead, hit the link from the show notes to get 40% off that version instead. Discounts good through the end of April
0: 2019.
1: So we leave the music of Eric Zahn. Don't want to gloss over that one too much. Uh, it's it's a really great album. Um, it started to show a little bit more sophistication uh, in the arrangements and uh, you know a little glossier production. Has a song on it called "I King Will Come" that I almost played. Kind of a slower, more brooding piece, uh, which was a texture they'd start to explore a little later. But we get into the third album, The Principle of Doubt. Same lineup except for one of the Living Death guys left, and in came a guy. Named Ufa Baltrush, Uh, his pseudonym was Mark K. (laughs) Regular sort of name, M-A-R-C. I I think
2: that they, like, exhausted all their imaginative uh, faculties (laughs) on the music itself. Right. Uh, When it came to pseudonym time, it was like, eh, Mark Mark K.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Sounds American (laughs) enough. Good. Yeah. And he, th- and this guy, unlike the others in the band, he didn't really have that many credits to his name, but he stayed in the band up, up until the mid 90s. One thing he did do was sub for Frank Blackfire on Sodom's Agent Orange era for the touring. So there you go. I, <laughs> Quite I a CV. Agent I have some problems with Agent Orange, but that's,
2: that's just a, that's for another time. That's
1: just me. So The Principle of Doubt, third album. Um, we started to see this these subtitles, very complicated subtitles, like Chapter 3, Taken from the Chronicle of Doubt uh, for the song The Principle of Doubt. And then we we see uh, on the song Twilight Zone, Lord Fowl's Hort, Chapter 8, Taken from the Chronicle of Doubt. This is all stuff that's not exactly of Ralph Hubert's own imagining. It's basically his interpretation of Stephen R. Donaldson's dark fantasy trilogy, uh The Chronicles of Thomas Covenant the Unbeliever it figures pretty highly in this album as well as one later one from 94 called Visions Fugitives which we will get to also later but uh where does this album rank for you hunter on the Mekong Delta the Mekong Delta meter the deltometer third or
2: the, the deltometer third or fourth okay yeah okay. Uh, i mean for me like my two always have been and always will be Kaleidoscope and Dances of Death. All right. And then, I don't know. I, I guess I'd sort of equivocate on the others. Um, I love them all. You know, I love all that first run. Right. Um, well, I'm going to say all the first run, but that, you know, the first six, seven years. For sure. How about you?
1: Uh, this one is just kind of in the middle. I, I like it a lot. Uh, I think it's one of the more eccentric ones. It's not as solid to me as Kaleidoscope. Uh doesn't have the focus and hunger of the first one, which is also a favorite of mine. But yeah, I love everything from the first run as well, including Vision's Fugitives, although I think we both have the similar problem with that one in the middle. Yes, but The Principle of Doubt, yeah, really fun album, really cool album, um, really different. And I think, you know, I remember getting this new in 1989 and thinking it was up there with Destruction released from Agony, uh, Death Rose, Deception ignored in terms of really sophisticated German stuff. And also up there with Voivod. Not n- Nobody ever touched Voivod in 89 uh, at that point. But I, I think they were bringing something uh, really unique, intelligent, and just very, very worthwhile uh, in terms of all the depth that it had. And uh, yeah, it's 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 a favorite album of mine. Probably my favorite album cover that they, that they had.
2: Oh, it's a killer album. Yeah,
1: great piece of work.
2: I'm a big fan of their artwork in general, though. Just the the the, the aesthetic itself,
1: for sure, for sure, exactly. Like "Dances of Death," not the greatest artwork itself, but the aesthetic. Right, but the, the aesthetic is excellent. Yeah. So yeah, we're gonna leap into this one and check out a couple songs uh, that are originals. Um, one called "Ever Since Time Began." and another one called Curse of Reality.
2: come to mind right off the rip one a curse of reality shows an entirely new side to this band a moodier more patient um i don't want to say more sophisticated but definitely you know more capable of uh entertaining new ideas than they had before at least that they had exhibited i mean they always had a sophistication about them even from you know their early record i want to say too that you were mentioning um, sort of musically advanced late 80s german tech thrash you know miscellania one department in which mekong delta never suffered was in the drum department yeah like you're, you're like in the 80s and even during the whole like Prague death tidal wave of the early 90s t- to my mind it was always these really developed guitarists and then drummers who were trying to catch up. And like, your, I mean, really like it's the drummers all, you know, unless you're like Rick Kalaluka, like the drummer's always the, like the weakest guy in the band um, or the vocalist maybe, but you know, it's beside the point. Yeah. Um, but, but yet, yeah, Jordan Michaels a very confident, very poised player. And I think it it did Mekong Delta great service to have someone that capable in, in in its ranks
1: yeah it's a really great point i and everything you're saying about cursor reality is right on i hear i'm not sure if it's influenced but it's certainly parallel to into the pandemonium in terms of that dark pounding orchestration <laughs> kind of oppressive uh i there's no there's really no other precedent in metal for something like that so anything
2: um, like that I tend to read into the pandemonium into it sure I, it's like it, you know noise records Switzerland and Germany I mean I, it's just hard for me to not think that like especially like with all of Ralph Hubert's, um, you know, classical affinities, like that, he wouldn't be a Celtic Frost
1: fan. <clears throat> definitely, yeah, definitely. I, Curse of Reality to me always took a page out of that book. Anyway, if not Very delib- cool
2: point, I never thought of that. Yeah, yeah if not
1: deliberately, yeah. it was at least in parallel. So, yeah. uh, And then ever since time began, just um, just a really great mark of maturation for this band and uh, kind of them going to yet another level. I think with their kind of main core sound, oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. And then there's uh this song called El Calibri. uh Calibri, one of two songs on this album that is a reworking of an older composition. Uh, the other one is Twilight Zone, which I actually kind of think I like better in a way. Um and everybody knows that, da, 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 you know, uh the sure. Twilight Zone theme. But we're going to listen to El Calibri. This
2: was uh written by a late 19th century early 20th century um Argentinian composer named uh, Julio Sagreras.
1: Yeah, I mentioned Joey DeMaio earlier, and I think it still holds because, you know, I'd be surprised if Ralph Hubert wasn't inspired by some of those early Manowar records where you had something like Sting of the Bumblebee uh, from the Kings of Metal album or uh, William's Tale and some of of those other ones too, Thunderpick. Just stuff that was like, you know, either compositions that they were like sort of rearranging to fit the metal mold or just originals where there was very bass-centered and instrumental and, and I can't help but think of some of that Manowar stuff when I hear El Calibre there.
2: I mean, so, yeah, I mean, anytime you hear a composition where, you know, the rest of the band, particularly like the guitars, are subordinate to the bass and also in the sort of classical context, it's, I, and, you know, it's it's hard not to um, think of Joey DeMaio and, and the, you know, the early Manowar.
1: Yeah, dead on. And, and,
2: and we love, we Jeff and I stand, I mean, Jeff goes farther with Manowar than I do, but I think Jeff and I can at least say that the first four albums were classics.
1: Oh, yeah. No, I don't think they ever topped those four. I think no. a lot of Manowar fans agree, at least the ones that kind of maybe got into them in the 80s or the 90s. I'm sure there's kids in Greece that think Gods of War is their best album, but... Um, you know, they are wrong. We're not here to talk about them.
2: <laughs> no. But, but but they are an often maligned band um, because their image is very... I mean. They provide a lot of opportunity for parody, and I didn't take them seriously for the longest time. And then when I actually heard uh, into, um, I'm trying to think the first were record I heard. It might have actually been "Sign of the Hammer."
1: Well, that's good too.
2: Yeah, but yeah, I, I just remember being like just so taken by Eric Adams and Joey DeMaio and yeah, yeah, and all that glorious upstate chest hair. <laughs> <laughs>
1: We get into the fourth album, the other living death guitarist dropped out. They kept Ufa as the only guitarist and uh, did them well. They were a solid uh, core of four and they brought in a new vocalist named Doug Lee, the first guy that didn't go by a pseudonym. (laughs) Although Doug Lee sounds like it might have been a pseudonym for Jochen Stiermeier or something. Yeah, Uh, no, his
2: name's actually just Doug Lee.
1: Weirdly, Doug Lee
2: probably should have come up with a pseudonym.
1: <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> uh, weirdly, Doug Lee comes from this Florida band called Siren. And it, it seems strange at first that that would ever happen. But uh, Siren actually ended up on ARG Records for a little while. And um, this is where he's from. And they were kind of a just a progressive slash traditional metal band from that great state. Um, great metal state anyway.
2: <laughs> yeah, Yeah, it's just great metal state. Yeah.
1: Sure. You also love Dances of Death. Is this your favorite, or is that Kaleidoscope?
2: Probably, I don't know. Man, why do you put me in these positions?
1: That's what she said. <laughs> Sorry, funny. I've been watching a lot Michael of The Scott. Office lately.
2: Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Like, it, it just depends on the mood, because they're they're very different albums in a way. Kaleidoscope is this very... Sophisticated, refined Mekong Delta, and so is Dances of Death in a sense. But like, there's an urgency about Dances of Death. There's a, a mania about it um, that ties it to the earlier stuff more for me. There's just this like sort of like textured, nuanced, very heavily finessed approach that for me characterizes Kaleidoscope. I, I hear this for me. Dances of Death is sort of like the culmination of that that first. Um, first surge of Mekong Delta It's where they took everything That was good about the band And sort of perfected it It's the like platonic I, I, idea Of, of uh, early Mekong Delta
1: Yeah, no, I, I totally agree And I like Doug Lee better as a vocalist So I think that um, it's a step up there It, it is connected It's still more... weird yeah, definitely. But, oh, but oh, definitely. He,
2: yeah, no, he's he's he is a graduation.
1: Hey, man. Even with Kyle, like I may not like him all the time on all those albums, but he's he's great. And I think some of the stuff we chose uh, to play, some oh, of my sure. favorites anyway, by that guy. And um, you know, weird is good in our world. Weird is totally. good. I'd rather take a weird vocalist that's a little difficult to digest than somebody that's just trying to ape. I don't know Phil Anselmo or whatever. Yeah, uh, yeah, totally. So, um, yeah, Dances of Death is is all of that. It's a more demanding listen because it opens up with a 20-minute song, 20 the title minutes. track. And that's that's pretty exhausting. And then you have two kind of shorter songs, three to five minutes with uh, Transgressor and True Believers, both really, really good songs. Then you get another Mussorgsky cover. Um, yep cover I don't <laughs> we want to call it a cover um,
2: yeah, let's, yeah let, let's say a p uh, yeah and an interpretation
1: interpretation of a, of a classical piece night on a bear mountain um and that's 10 minutes and that's it's basically a four song album so definitely one of their most progressive and demanding albums for sure let's listen to a couple snippets from the long dances of death title track you pick these out tell me about the uh the title track and just how awesome it is because
2: well for one for one thing yeah okay yeah it is 20 minutes it completely coheres as a piece of music yeah um i mean so it says something about this band songwriting chops because even the masters i'm thinking like you and i tend to agree about rush hemispheres right like a lot of amazing stuff in it but as a track it's not one of their real triumphs
1: well one of the problems with it is that it had to live up to 2112 as a sidelong piece and uh as you say there's no part in it that's bad. I just don't think it tells the story as successfully as 2112 does. Um, I've okay. I've come to just like Hemispheres for what it is now. But right. but you're right, and, and, and it's right. a good and it's but a good Dance point the, to make. It's a good point but to make. the
2: death tells the tale. Yes. yes, I mean it really does, and it, it, it runs through a gamut of of moods and feels. Um, it opens with this you know, like beautiful classical guitar, um, and then just gets straight into like tech bedlam lot of really really exhausting um, rhythmic interplay Um, just the band at the peak of its powers up to this point as far as I'm concerned Let, let us let the music speak for itself
0: it was gone, something there I just can't put my finger on.
1: Keep metal weird. Hmm.
2: Now, I, one of the things that I like about it so much is, like, in spite of its sophistication and you know its obvious like evolution from the first album, it still uh, preserves its thrash essence. Um, that the mania and the hunger are still there.
1: Yeah, and I think they've always done that. Even on the albums that have come since the hiatus that we're not going to cover on this episode, I think the only drop there was Visions Fugitives. But um, I like that for the fact that it did expand into something else. But yeah, no, you're right. They they always I'd say other than that, they consistently kept that thread, and that's pretty laudable because you know a lot of bands of this type would sort of evolve really far outside of of that. And then we get another Mussorgsky song that uh, they tackle. Uh, it's, it's a great one. They did three of his works over the years. They did "Hut of Baba Yaga, which we opened up with. We're going to play a little bit from Night on a Bear Mountain here. And um, in 97, they did Pictures at an Exhibition, uh, which is kind of more famous for being something that Emerson, Lake, and Palmer did. I have always preferred the ALP version. It's, to me, it's stranger, it's weirder, it's rawer, it's hungrier. Um, Mekong's version is really good because if you can pull that off as a metal band, um, sure. you know, more power to you. But uh, we're not going to cover that. So, But I did want to mention it since it is a Mussorgsky piece as well. So let's listen to just a little bit of uh, Night on a Bear Mountain. You know, other than the uh, great execution there and, and um excellent way to end the album, I sometimes think of like bands like Halloween and Blind Guardian, also Germans, who were kind of pseudo-progressive at times, never really crossed that line uh, and went completely bonkers. But um, yeah. I always felt like Night on a Bear Mountain and a lot of other Mekong Delta stuff from this era is sort of like what might happen if those bands had sort of answered the prog call.
2: Oh, I mean, especially in the case of Blind Guardian, yeah, I mean they constantly flirted with it.
1: Yeah, sure, um, and you can hear especially that. especially
2: around yeah. nightfall, and and then um, you know they have an alcohol night at the opera. So. Right,
1: right, and then, of course Halloween's longer pieces from the mid to late '80s, yeah. um, and you know just there's a there's a kind of an indescribable Germanness to to these bands, you know. Uh, well, yeah,
2: no, I think that yeah, you just identified that you know something in the you know German musical DNA,
1: right? Yeah, and
2: siege is even.
1: To sure, what about Freedom Call? <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, uh, <laughs> we get to Kaleidoscope, and for, for our uh, intents and purposes, we uh, are going to stop um, with this lineup. They switched drummers, Jorg Michael finally left for other parts. And uh, thank you for your service, Jorg, because he's incredible, great drummer. Uh, yeah, um, we got a guy coming in named Peter Haas. And he has perhaps the most interesting CV of any Mekong member. Um, super interesting. He, he was, I, I sent this list to you earlier today. I'm sure you were as amused as I was. He was in Babylon Sad, Poltergeist, Calhoun Conquer, uh, Clockwork, the uh, the mid-90s band of coroners, Tommy T. Barron. Uh, the Buddy Lackey solo album, The Strange Mind of Buddy Lackey of course we need,
2: let's talk about that in a minute too
1: sure and, and then uh fucking crocus so
2: dude have you ever seen how many people have come and gone from crocus though <laughs> yeah i mean it really it's truly mind-boggling <laughs>
1: yeah it's astonishing
2: <laughs> yeah i mean so
1: they ran out of swiss people
2: well you know and you gotta eat <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, that too i guess i'll join crocus
1: hey man he's the only person in the world who can claim membership in crocus and mekong delta <laughs>
2: and, and Calhoun Conquer, And I think Eula Garrett actually likes Calhoun Conquer too.
1: I think so, too. I, I bought yeah. one of their albums once because the vo- the name Voivod was always thrown around. And, you know, that'll usually get me. And sure. I'm usually disappointed. And I was. Just a very thin sound on it. Some Speaking interesting thin, ideas. How about
2: Poltergeist?
1: I never even uh, went. Early,
2: early, yeah, Voldemort uh, production.
1: Yeah, never went there.
2: Super, super thin. Yeah, I'm... I'm not a fan. No, 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 the, the Buddy Lackey record is, um, it's an interesting album. I keep it. And when I listen to it, I'm like, should I keep it? <laughs>
1: But then you look at your but, psychotic waltz records, you're like, I'll keep it.
2: Uh, I'll keep it.
1: Uh, you know, I also keep it because it's, to me there's a thread with, it's not, not not exactly in actual sound, but there's just a thread with the early Dead Soul Tribe stuff. And I love yeah, sure. those first three. Well, actually, I should say the second and third Dead Soul Tribe albums are great. They've stuck with me. Uh, that's Buddy Lackey as Devin Graves, of course. The uh, first
2: one for the track Haunted.
1: Sure, yeah. No, there's some good stuff there. And I just think he crystallized on the second and third, uh, everything he was going for on that album. But uh, yeah, the Buddy Lackey album is kind of like that. I'm the same way. I keep that in, but boy, I I probably pull it out every four or five years.
2: That's what she said. Oh! Oh! (laughs) Nice.
1: (laughs) That's fantastic.
2: All right, moving on.
1: Yeah, so Kaleidoscope, 1992. Uh, just misses that sweet spot in 93. but uh,
2: uh, They totally missed it, man. They, they're they <laughs> on either side.
1: Now, this, when I got this, I hadn't yet explored Genesis to the point that I would a few years later. And um, Dance on a Volcano was a new song to me. And I was really turned on by it. It says in the credits, of course, that it is a Genesis song. And um, I think that really was one of the first things that sparked my interest in Genesis, who are now a top 10 band for me. And that song is from their A Trick of the Tail album. Great album, great song, uh, cool choice. And really the first kind of traditional rock or prog cover that Ralph chose to do. You know, that's kind of interesting.
2: And a non-Gabriel album, too.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, The first non-Gabriel album. But nevertheless, um, you know, that's always a little bit more in vogue, I suppose, if you're a metal band covering Genesis. Yeah. Um, but yeah, really great choice, really great version. We're not going to play that. Oh, it's fantastic, yeah. Yeah, there's so much to play here. But this is such a solid album. I think through and through, this is the best Mekong Delta album. Now, listening to some of that earlier stuff tonight, I, I am reminded how good that stuff is. But,
2: but taken as a whole.
1: Yeah, taken as a whole. It's, it's the easiest, best, most, I think, fulfilling listen. Really, most nourishing listen. It just uh, just has everything you'd want in Mekong Delta. I agree, man. What do you think about Peter Haas as a drummer? Do you do you have any opinions? Oh, he's killer. Yeah.
2: Oh no, it was a it's, a it's a lateral move.
1: Yeah, definitely. I
2: don't know if I'm underselling him by saying that, but no, 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 he's super solid. I mean, th- so this was my introduction to the band. Um, oh. You okay. had Eula had this on a playlist. Okay. Um, got it through uh, Metal Disc, and just like totally into it. Yeah. And, and and I I was impressed by the drumming straight away.
1: Right on. Well, let's listen to a song called Sphere Eclipse. Misery and pain for
0: your punishment. While religion gives the in brain to imper- never seen. there's no justification for this by way.
1: Song Delta are always kind of breathless, I think, in their approach and their attack and their momentum. And I think there's that moment in the middle of that snippet in Sphere Eclipse where it actually breathes a little bit. Yeah, I mean. There's a sense of space.
2: Everything about that song I love. Like, I I love the section that's anchored by the bass and you get these like ethereal little waves of clean guitar. Yeah. And then they pick up, but it's that arpeggiated section, that 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 always gets me. Because that is like, that is tech as shit.
1: It is. It is. Oh,
2: man. Yeah. It's the embodiment of it for me.
1: And we've recently, and back in the the Roadrunner 93 episode, talked about tech and you know definitions and how stringent some people are with those and how open maybe you are to the tech metal definition. But Mekong Delta, tech or not tech?
2: Um, not full on, but I mean, definitely a part of the conversation.
1: I think by this point they are, I think, I think they start finding that on principle of doubt and through, uh, and including kaleidoscope, right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I would say kaleidoscope is probably like the, by my definition, like the techiest Mekong Delta record in a way.
1: Agreed. Let's listen to, it's like the most
2: refined one.
1: Yeah. Let's point. listen to another original. And, um, you know, it, it's important to point out where they're originals and where they're, uh, you know, other people's pieces because there were at least one or two on, on each Mekong Delta album save for maybe one of these. Uh, but and they
2: work in so seamlessly that sometimes you can't tell the difference.
1: Absolutely. And there's this other piece uh, in addition to the Genesis song they cover here uh, called Sabre Dance. And that's by uh, a 20th century Soviet Armenian composer and conductor called Aram Kachaturian.
2: Yeah, Kachaturian.
1: Kachaturian. Yeah. Kachaturian. This is a song, we're not going to listen to that, but um, just check out Sabre Dance, either in Kachaturian's version or, you know, other orchestras playing that, or I, even, the, even the Mekong Delta version. You'll know it. Like, it's just, it's just one of these pieces that you've heard sometime in your life.
2: Also, like, can we mention very quickly how many, how, like, their preoccupation with the word dance yeah, it pops up a lot over the spectrum of their discography. Well, Genesis
1: Dance on a volcano. Then we have Saber on the, Dance on the same album, Saber Dance. And then the next album has a piece in the original Hubert suite called Dance, uh, which yeah. is which and is by Christopher Young.
2: <laughs> so, dances of Death.
1: Dances of Death. Yeah, there you go. So um, yeah, a lot of dancing going on there. Now this is a song actually from uh, Kaleidoscope called Heartbeat, uh, a Hubert original.
0: One more thing in life that you regret While the wheels continue turning We still believe in so bad learning And in the center all these blinded eyes Mass fire melted by a round of ice Browning in the gleaming steel of our material world
1: So I hope everybody listening just noted how gorgeous that solo part is, and then and then the bass part that follows that. That's just really, really great stuff.
2: I love that uh chorus bass tone.
1: Yeah, that's really good. And the solo before it is not the kind of thing we're used to hearing from Mekong Delta. It's no. it's a bit of a new vibe, a bit of a new shade. Lyrical. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. And um I, you know, as as techie And thrashy as Kaleidoscope still can be. uh, I think they started throwing this stuff in. Uh, It really did kind of point to the next album in a lot of ways. Yeah, this
2: shows a band that's like willing to take its time now.
1: Exactly, yeah, totally. Um, There's one vocal part earlier in that snippet of Heartbeat where it reminds me of a beloved American band who are doing their thing at this time. Did you get any hint uh, of any band from the Midwest maybe that, we love anacrusis yeah do you hear that i yep. yeah, did yeah it's right there i mean it's very You really similar. scared
2: me like when we were playing it and you told me you were gonna quiz me yeah um and then i was like i think anacrusis oh so really I'm that's <laughs> i'm glad i got it
1: <laughs> well that's the only place on i don't the planet. Like being wrong
2: about weird
1: progressive metal <laughs> it's, it's funny me you out. thought that that's amazing all right so you got it okay yeah it's just too similar i mean like emotionally and just the melodic choices doug is making there
2: dude like you that is the word man is emotional
1: and think about actually think about that chorus bass that sounds a lot like what Anna Cruzs were doing on like manic impressions well
2: actually that's kind of the tell for me was the chorus bass.
1: yeah okay okay cool cool
2: oh yeah man that yeah totally
1: well we're having fun with kaleidoscope let's listen to the closing track this is a little bit from a song called about science great song title
2: to address here is the watchtower lyric
1: i wrote that in my notes as we were listening my friend
2: yeah i mean jesus i mean it's yeah it's straight out
1: controlled by confusion confused by control that's straight from control and resistance the song off the same album three years prior to this album it had to be a huge influence and not the first german tech band to (laughs) sort of like you know liberally quote watchtower whether this is a less contentious
2: relationship
1: yeah, wow, that's fantastic. Well, hey, man, why why not honor the best? I mean, it's it's when Watchtower.
2: I, when I wasn't a portly old man, I used to have a Watchtower t-shirt that said that on the back. But <laughs> I, I can't. You're a portly old man? Me, Last time
1: I saw that. you, which was like three months ago, you weren't a portly old man. So uh, I guess I guess you've I'm, really well, aged.
2: I'm portly compared to what I used to be. <laughs> Portly-er. I used to weigh a buck 40. Yeah, you're not a twig back. anymore. Yeah, know. that's true. You're but it's like, a twiggy shirt. You're like a lar- Anyway, mo- moving You're on. You're like a
1: larger branch.
2: <laughs> yeah. I'm now. I'm a trunk. <laughs> so fuck you, youth.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that, about science. Just shows the command and just the, the, the ease of which they kind of change up all into all these different parts. And I mean, totally. And it's uh, I think is it the longest song on Kaleidoscope?
2: Yeah. It. Yeah.
1: I think, it, well, no, Heartbeat I, I, I 702, you, no. About Science is 626. Yeah, probably. It just it just seems to have a lot of really great moments and um, justifies its length. I, I just think it's just a fantastic tune. Um, totally is. One and, of I, my f- and
2: up with you, man, what a great song title.
1: Yeah, <laughs> About Science. And, and,
2: like, and, and I mean, the you know, the erudition of the track and like, like you say, how it peels through all these different parts. All these different moods sort of justifies that title too.
1: For sure, for sure. And that's uh, Kaleidoscope. And I I think some of the stuff we talked about in relation to this album uh, rears its head big time on the next album, 1994's Visions, Fugitives, an album title I never understood. Wasn't ever sure if there was a possessive that should have like maybe been in there, but uh, um, that still wouldn't make much sense. Yeah. visions, fugitives. Anyway, have, um, like short lived visions. <laughs> yeah. But like um, some some of the stuff like the, just the, the, the being more patient in their approach, letting things unfold a little more slowly, not pace wise, but just uh, kind of being sort of laid back in their, I don't know, momentum, aggression. Right. We're getting more melody as well coming in. Um, that sense of space too. I think that's huge on Visions Fugitives and really marks the album. The th- the thing about this album is it's got about twenty three minutes of original songs, four original tunes, that are we can easily call metal. And then Ralph Hubert finally attempts his own version of some of these classical masters or these modern classical masters and you know soundtrack composers. Uh, that he's been covering and, and adoring for so many years. He tries his own hand at that with "Sweet for Group and Orchestra. And this is a six-part thing right smack dab in the middle of the album. And one problem with it for me is the orchestrated parts are synthesized. Right. It's not an actual orchestra. And I think it would have done much better – with an actual orchestra. Oh, for sure. I realize that's expensive and difficult to do at the, you know, at the uh, economic level that this band is at.
2: <laughs> of Mekong Delta. Sure.
1: <laughs> um,
2: no, they're like, yeah, no, this is like well below poverty level.
1: But there, there's some interesting stuff in there, regardless. Yeah, no,
2: you can hear the ideas, but I'm with you. Like it, it really, um, you know, the, the effect itself is diminished uh, by the absence of uh, an actual orchestra.
1: Yeah, and also I think that it just makes it for kind of a wonky album sequence. Um, yeah. Just kind of this this suite that's flawed, certainly in the middle. Um, does this suite, does this classical piece remind you of any other album that we have talked about on this podcast pretty sure
2: you're talking about believer dimensions
1: absolutely yeah
2: yeah which is a piece with which you and i both have major issues
1: sure and an album that otherwise is fantastic fantastic. i really wish in both cases they would have taken that orchestrated piece made it an ep some kind of companion piece to the album just would have felt like a more truer believer album or more true you know mekong delta album could
2: couldn't agree more
1: as it is, we have Visions Fugitives here. Uh, we're going to listen to uh, one of the better moments, I, th- I think, from the suite for group and orchestra. Uh, this is from the Allegro moment, and we will discuss after we listen. Dude, sorry, I just read a great piece of trivia on Peter Haas. Oh, yeah, um, for Crocus's, uh, <laughs> hold on, all they said was a band name, dude. You don't have to laugh yet. Oh, Crocus's uh, 1990 album Stampede, he was known as Peter Rabbit Haas. <laughs> <laughs> And the reason I looked him up was like, I want to see when he was in Crocus. I knew it was like sort of later, sort of maybe not. He was in one album on, in 99 by Crocus. And oh, in um, 1990, hard, he was on Stampede, man. which is when he was known as Peter Rabbit. And I was like, I was thinking, man, he, he was probably playing that part thinking, God, man, Crocus just did not prepare me for this gig. You know, <laughs> thinking he was just maybe. In a- I'm
2: sorry that like, I mean, I just hear Crocus and I laugh. I don't, why?
1: Uh, you know it's weird. They're not terrible. In fact, the Headhunter album is pretty legit. But they were what a generally band
2: name. I, what is their band name?
1: Well, the band name is is the Flower Crocus with K's instead of C's.
2: Ah, I didn't know that.
1: Well, I know my flowers, my friend.
2: Yeah, well, um, yeah. I don't have that botanical foundation. That's, so. that's the
1: back of the next Radical Research shirt, man. We know our yeah. flowers.
2: We know our fl- well. <laughs> one of us does. <laughs> one of us clearly doesn't.
1: Anyway, um, what do you th- what do you think of that? What do you think of that piece we heard from Sweet for Group and Orchestra?
2: I don't know. I mean, like, I, I feel – I don't know. I feel like Ralph is a better interpreter than classical composer.
1: It, it, it's weird, isn't and it? I,
2: it's, it stings me a little bit to say that because I have such faith in the guy's songwriting ability. Yeah, But it's like he's able to somehow, you know – take that influence and synthesize it into really, truly classic metal, but like taking it on its own and doing it as himself. And too, it's just kind of anachronistic too. I mean, it's like that wasn't happening in classical music at the time. So it just feels very retrospective and just kind of, I don't know, kitschy almost.
1: Yeah. The beginning of that is a little obvious. Like, Ooh, classical. You know what I mean? Like Right. I mean,
2: it's like he doesn't feel like a serious art music composer there.
1: Sure. Whereas when he takes all of these other composers that we've sampled tonight and like others we haven't played even, um, I think pretty much all of those are successful. Uh, They even compiled all of that onto uh, uh, an album called Classics. And I think it works even in that context. Um, He had a great talent for interpreting this stuff but when it came to his own stuff i i completely agree you know came to his own devices to, to write a classical piece it just it does come off a little kitschy it comes off a little too obvious like it does you know, yeah uh, big c classical here we are you know exactly. Precisely. precisely yeah That's- so point taken I probably like this even more than the Believer track, probably because I want to listen to the album all the way through. That's always the ideal album, listen. And unlike the Believer, it's not at the end, so you can't just kind of lop it off. I tend to listen to this album all the way through, struggle through Sweet for Group and Orchestra, and just find little bits and pieces that I like, because there are moments that I like. But yeah, it does have problems. Let's listen to something really good from Visions Fugitives. (laughs) Um, how do you feel about the other four songs? Because I'm, I'm totally into those.
2: Oh, no, me too. I mean, it, it's exactly the same thing with Dimensions. It's like, I just want more.
1: Right. Yeah, true enough. It is a bit of a different Mekong though, right?
2: It is. But like, it's a really cool evolutionary step from Kaleidoscope. I mean, to me, it sounds like where they needed to go. a little more patient with its tempo, but also you get that really, really open-hearted guitar playing, um, not only in that that melody that precedes the solo, but the solo itself, which is incredibly expressive and, and, and unapologetically beautiful. And I, to me, that's some of Doug Lee's best vocal work as well.
1: <laughs> Agree with all that. I always wished uh, Ufe was uh, on more albums. I mean, whether they were Mekong Delta albums or otherwise. He uh, yeah. has a very short resume, but at least we get him on these several uh, Mekong albums. But yeah, he's he's great. Also, another underrated guy. Speaking of underrated guys, I have a correction, a live correction, as it happens. Uh, oh, man. For Peter Haas. You know how I said they ran out of guys in Switzerland? Uh in, in the crocus in, in the crocus not, lineup. Not a
2: big, it's not a big country.
1: Yeah. It's not a big country, but he is actually Swiss. No shit. So they did run out of guys.
2: They didn't. Okay, never yeah. mind.
1: Ralph Hubert was plucking from Switzerland because he was like, oh, I love into the pandemonium. So I want I want anything I can get from that country.
2: Heck yeah, and we've got you know people that have played with Tommy T. Barron, so
1: let's hey, do it. Swiss German connection. We love it's it. Swiss Swiss Germany son. So We mentioned pictures at an exhibition that came out three years later. Uh, And then the band went on hiatus for like 10 years. We're stopping here and there's a couple good reasons. We're not fans of the stuff that came after, but I admit, and and you can tell your own story, Hunter, but I admit ignorance with some of the later albums. The furthest I went was with their comeback album after, after that hiatus, Ralph returned with a new lineup for 2007's lurking fear album, very capable guys, uh the sound of that album is pretty much in the basic mekong delta wheelhouse but man have you ever listened to that album
2: yeah and and i'm kind of sorry to say i yeah of course it came out and it was like holy crap a new mekong delta record right and it was you know only a decade had passed and i was really excited about it but like yeah like very uninspired by it uh, it, it just and, 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 and I, I will say this i i and I hate i hate to admit this here especially, but, like, I haven't heard a lick of music since that.
1: I don't think we've talked about this, but you and me both were, we're confessing at the same time about the same thing. <laughs> Lurking Fear was decent, but it just seemed to be like, oh, now we know what Mekong Delta fans want. Here's what they're going to get. It didn't have that sort of searching, pioneering vibe yep. to it. Um, I to never listened to it, but I got to tell you, and... It's weird because on a lot of the reviews I've read of this album, it doesn't mention it. Maybe it was my copy, I don't know. But the production or the engineering or just the recording of that album nope. is so shrill and screechy, treble drenched, headache-inducing fucking disaster. I mean, I yeah, thought.
2: Yeah, well, I, I know so did, a guy, you got that too. Uh, yo absolutely okay it was like it was like the like the worst manila road production or something
1: (laughs) exactly it
2: it was like but i I mean i even know a guy who's who's counts Mekong delta as his single favorite band and even he had like major reservations about the production
1: yeah okay okay and and i think unfortunately i didn't check out the two that have come after there's there's an album called wanderer on the edge of time uh that looks very very classically oriented so that kind of keeps me away because I think that's a lot of Hubert original stuff in that vein. And then a, what looks like a more traditional thing called In a Mirror Darkly. I've not checked them out. I know Eula's bought them. He mentioned to me that he's bought every album, you know, that they've ever put out in a recent email with him. Even the new ones. I, I, I'm assuming he meant the new ones too. Yeah. But anyway, I did want to mention the ELP thing. There's, there's such a tie to ELP because not only did they do pictures at an exhibition, but they did Tacata, which was originally by Argentine composer Alberto Ginastera.
2: Ginastera, he, he, yeah,
1: yeah, Alberto Ginastera. And um, ELP did both of those things, Right. <laughs> and uh, I think that's interesting. So it kind of reveals that Genesis and ELP were probably uh, Ralph's two favorite prog bands, and that's cool with us. Um, I know you're not the biggest ELP fan, but
2: that's fine, though. Maybe one I mean, day. Yeah. But I, I love the ever loving crap out of Genesis.
1: For sure. And, uh, you know, for now, uh, despite all we've said about some of the later Mekong stuff, we remain in thrall of the era of the albums we featured here tonight. Thanks for listening. Please send us feedback at radicalresearchpodcast at gmail.com. Please like our Facebook page. Please donate via PayPal using ID radicalresearchpodcast at gmail.com. And please give us a review on iTunes. Any form of support you show us will help Radical Research thrive for a whole other year as we mark our one-year anniversary with this episode. Thanks everybody for the amazing enthusiasm thus far.
2: So for episode 30, we are going to stay in Europa and in fact in Germany. Uh, We're going to be discussing Death Row's fascinating third record, Deception Ignored. Quite a departure for the band um, and a contentious record amongst its fan base. Um, but a record that Jeff and I, both uh, fervent tech metal enthusiasts, love. A companion piece to Mekong Delta and Destruction's fantastic release from Agony. Uh, the album was fairly recently re- uh, re-released by uh, North Carolina's, I guess, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania's Dive Bomb Records now. <laughs> um, and is, it's widely available for consumption. We would urge you to go ahead and buy it and prepare it is a fantastic record and a favorite of ours and we invite you to listen as always
1: the liner notes in that reissue are total shit and don't uh, believe a word and the former members the original members of death row continue to hate that album we'll talk about that and much more on episode 30